0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin.
1: Welcome to the podcast that made us interviews and stories tales from the bus we love taking you back to when it all went down the greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound it's concerts concerts that made us concerts that made us.com
2: hey this is swimmer and you're listening to concerts that made us with brian
0: Welcome to Concerts That Made Us.
2: Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you now. I'm looking forward to diving into your music over the next bit. So you're releasing your debut album, Sirens and Cathedrals on the 29th of September. What can you tell us about it?
2: Well, I think uh, the first thing to say is, is the name is derived from it being built up out of two halves or, or, or kind of. Two, yeah, two halves, I guess, um, in terms of the approach to and um, the nature of the music. Um, I guess the first half is the more um, raucous or um, loud sounds and, and, and songs. Um, and then the second half is, is more the safe havens or or the cathedrals part. So that's the first thing to say, but it all came together over the course of, I guess, three so close to three years now, um, and uh, it just started with me uh, experimenting again because I have been making music uh, over the course of my life from an early age, um, but decided to pick up the guitar again and start making uh, just um, live music or instrumental music and moved away a bit from the, um, the electronic stuff and really started enjoying the songwriting process. Um, so it's a culmination of three years of getting back into guitars. Um, I've been playing drums also now for a greater part of five or six years and, and bringing that into the mix and seeing if I can do it all. Um, that was the challenge because, um, uh, I wanted to see if I can take the songs, write the songs and then basically take them to full fruition and, and, and effectively make, make an album. And it was as, it's a lot of work. Uh, that's the one thing I wanted to say is uh, I never knew it was that that much work to to put an album together, but it, uh, it's been an amazing adventure. And yeah, I'm very happy to say that it's now done and in the bag and, and ready to go. As you say, 29th of September, that's the launch date or drop date for it.
0: I was actually going to ask, or I was going to say, you play all the instruments on the album. What was the journey like to become proficient in each one of them?
2: Uh, frustrating, but also very rewarding. Um, uh, I had to play. I think what I realized is what, it's one thing to write a song; it's another thing to learn how to play that song, um, and get to the nut of it or the the real essence of it, and lay it down on um, on a track. There's, and I have a lot of respect for musicians that go into a studio and do it in one or two takes. I have the luxury, obviously, of using digital tools and, and being able to re-record or um, do things again if they're not quite suited. And it took a while for me to get used to the recording process um, and not waste a lot of time. I think in the beginning I wasted a lot of time and in, in just trying to get the songs to where they needed to be. And in the process, probably spoiled a lo- uh, some songs, and I had to discard some ideas along the way. Um, but yeah, getting to play the songs once you've written it um, and you know you've got something, um, and the structure is there and the melodies there, and, and the next steps obviously starting to think about the parts. But I really enjoyed that. Um, while it was frustrating in one sense, it was super interesting and, and a, a, a A voyage of discovery in a sense of getting to know the instruments. I mean, I really fell in love with bass, for instance, in the process. I just think it's such a subtle, um, subtle instrument, you could, you know, the first thought when thinking about a bass is that it's a like a blunt tool or blunt instrument, but it's actually not. It's a very, very subtle and and very intricate instrument, actually. Um, And I really loved getting to know the bass, for instance, Um, and my own voice. Um, I think it was the first time in a long while that I've challenged myself to to lay down um, something proper in terms of vocal performance um, and getting to know, um, you know, the voice as an instrument is just unbelievable. I've discovered since that um, there's, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that the voice is the most complicated and, and complex instrument that you can get. And it's, you know, there's so many muscles and and uh, cavities in your head and your, your, you know that can resonate and help shape a sound. It's, it's, it's crazy, and you don't have control, uh, you know, a conscious control of a lot of those muscles. You, you, it's almost, uh, it becomes, it has to be intuitive to a sense. So again, that's that was something that was big part of the adventures, discovering these tools, um, including my own voice, and as I say, the instrumentation. So, um it's been awesome in that sense
0: yeah I can imagine it sounds like a very enjoyable but as well when you're done a massive achievement you know
2: yeah it's it is but uh it's very true what they say is that you know songs never and I believe it's with any piece of art it's never really complete you just have to decide when to put the tools down because you can spoil it and overbake it and like I said there's some instances and there's songs that there are songs that are in a folder somewhere in an archive folder that that fell by the wayside because I think I either over over complicated it or overcooked it or, or overthought it um it's a very very subtle exercise um and I think it's it it you need to have a very f- finely tuned intuition around where the song's going what's the nature of it and 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 when to let it go and when you've captured it and and when to move on so the whole process has been fascinating and um, and something that i'm really enjoying still i'd
0: love for you to walk us through the recording process how did you approach it you know once you had mastered each of the songs on the instruments how did you actually sit down and go about recording
2: it um Well, I guess each, uh, the origin of each of the songs starts differently. Some of them started with a bass line. Some of them had a pretty defined chord structure already. Um, I mean, one of the songs, Agency, actually, the beat, um, of Agency is, is a, it's an odd meter. So it's, it's a seven, it's a seven meter. So that's been in my head for, ah oh, geez um probably 15 years uh, if not longer um so that that originated from that and and wanting to do something with that um and exploring um how that would come into being um the idea for something really big and and, and on a grand scale in terms of agency and and what that beat could um go to was always in um in my mind and so there, it starts with the beat, and then exploring what elements um, from a guitar and instrumentation perspective would sit with it. Um, other ones like uh, "Feeding Time" started with a bass line, um, and uh, I guess it often just starts with feel in laying down that initial four-bar, eight-bar loop and seeing where it goes. But others, and 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 many of the ones that I'm, that I've been having um, worked at for the past three and a half years were um uh, complete chord progressions but not with an idea of um how drums and and other elements would come and complement that guitar part or those chord progressions so it starts with a nugget or an initial thought and laying that down on um and what i used initially was actually garage band and then um and then and i thought garage band was awesome just for getting an initial demo down um did that with most of the songs and then moved from garage band to logic um and so and then you exp- just expanded the quality and improved the quality of the takes um until i thought it was on a, on a good enough level to have a producer take those takes and eff- effectively just do a final mix uh, of those takes and it took a while to to also find um the right person, uh, or persons to help me with. So, uh, with the tracks and the mixing. So, um, again, just talking about agency, uh, um, I found a, a guy here in Johannesburg called Craig Hawkins, and he was really, really amazing. Um, and he knew exactly what to do with that track, the nature and the character of that track just suited his style, um, of production. And, um, and then there was another track called "Walking on Home," and I looked for a warmer, more retro kind of approach to to the mix. And I found another guy here called Barry Burke. Um, but for, then for the rest, um, I managed to find a guy in the Eastern Cape here in South Africa called uh, Joe Ellis, and he helped me with with the rest of them and and just nailing the rest uh, of the of the album. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, that initial nugget is, is those tentative steps can be very nerve wracking because where you take it from there can really, again, make or break the track or really define it in terms of where it needs to go. It's kind of interesting to, to look at the tracks now and I'm, I'm playing the tracks live now, obviously, um, and, and exploring them. Um, and it's now that I'm finding that they are actually maturing. Um, and I'm hearing things in the, in the way I'm playing them live. Now that, that that's actually um, educating me on where on, on, the, on the real nature of the songs and, and where they sit um, on a more accurate place emotionally, arrangement wise, et cetera. So I don't think the songs are ever done, like I said. Um, um, and I think even playing them live, they, they change, they change as you, you keep playing them.
0: I'd I'd love to dive into your history for a bit now, because I feel like it's interlinked obviously with the album, which your sound and with the inspiration. First off, you're from the Skeleton Coast. I've heard it's called the place God made in anger. For those of us that don't know, can you paint a picture of it?
2: Well, um, I mean, the first thing to say, obviously, being the Skeleton Coast is that it's um, it's where the, the cold Atlantic meets the the Namibian desert. So you've got these two extremes. And within that, people um have been managed have managed to make a living for hundreds of years, obviously, through diamonds um, and other industries, fishing. There's not much. Um there's literally a desert on the one side and an ocean on the other. I suppose the oceans where food um and um you know, most of the sustenance comes from, um, the desert itself is amazing. And I, uh, I mean, I love, uh, driving through the desert and spending hours in that landscape. I think it rearranges your synapses in a sense, um, it really reconfigures the way you see the world or uh, it just puts you in another mind space. So, um, but it's, uh, there are some, you know, the towns, the small towns like uh, Lüderitz, um are interesting, and 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 the, you know it's almost like a, a land that, like you say, got, either God made an angle or that God forgot. But there is life there, definitely, between those dunes, and there are stories there. So it's a fascinating landscape, um, and one that has a presence, a definite presence.
0: Yeah, I. Uh... I totally get what you're uh, saying about the desert years and years ago. Actually, uh, I managed to go into the Sahara Desert on a holiday for a couple of days. And you now it was very touristy, but just the mm. landscape. I totally get what you say, what you mean when you say it does something to you. You know, it really yeah. touches you deep inside and kind of changes how you think. But um, you led somewhat of a nomadic existence from an early age what was what was that period like in your life
2: yeah I think um moved 14 years uh 14 times in 11 years um so used got used to um backing things up and moving along and that gave me an opportunity to also get to know other parts and uh and different people um and I think it also cha- it it kind of informs the way you see the world and look at We you become an observer. Um, you become, uh, uh, almost, um, um, uh, someone that looks at things often on the side or the fringes of things. And I've always been comfortable in, in, in occupying that space. Um, uh, for me, it's always been interesting in observing people's behaviors, uh, events and, 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 uh, um, and so from that point of view, uh, being a bit of a voyeur helps with, you know, your imagination and storytelling and, and, and moving along the fringes, as I say.
0: Where does music come into this then, this nomadic lifestyle and how did you discover music or can you remember, say, your earliest musical memory?
2: Yeah, the um, I would say uh, the there was some... Some Reader's Digest tapes, actually, that, that I used to listen to quite a lot, um, and the, they had these beautiful and some would say very cheesy songs from the nineteen fifties, forties, and 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 um, um, but beautiful, sweetly constructed songs um, that kind of stuck in the memory for me. Um, um, in terms of what those songs meant, I mean, we listened to it a lot as a young. Um, as a young boy. Um, so that's the first memory, actually. Um, and then obviously later on um, in, you, in your teen years, you get exposed to, um, to other things and um, having been in the 90s in my teens, uh, it moves on to um, the likes of, you know, Pearl Jam, uh, Sound Garden was a big one for me, a big discovery, Stone Temple Pilots but also um discovering discovering um those songwriters early songwriters was also important for me um a big album for me that really changed the way i thought about music and and making me, and composing music um um and really made me sit upright was um was sting's uh, ten Sumners tales um that album had a lot of odd meters and like some amazing jazz musicians on it. Um, And I just I still listen to that album often. Um, I think it's an amazing album from a songwriting and and composition perspective. Um, Yeah. um, So those were the early influences, Uh, as I mentioned, Grunge played a big role. But then, you know, electronic music kicked in in the late 90s. the likes of, um, ninja tunes, um, trip hop, um, and, um, jungle, I thought was amazing. When I heard jungle the first time, I thought this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, so it was a real shock to the system when, when electronic music first hit, uh, ambient stuff, uh, autocray, um, you know, the usual suspects, aphex twin, square pusher, all those guys. I, we- I really went into electronic music and kind of, I guess put the guitar aside for a bit. Um, um still played every now and again, but didn't do any serious songwriting for a while. Um but yeah, I guess as you get older your your tastes developed as well. Now, I mean, jazz was obviously uh, from the from that early from the early days, also in the nineties, uh discovered jazz and, and all sorts of jazz influences from the usual um Miles Davis, uh Chet Baker, um um, I played, uh, trumpet also for a bit, so, um, I was a big fan of the, the jazz trumpet players, horn players, um, um, and then, you know, people like Phila Kuti, um, I fell in love with African, um, jazz and African musicians, uh, Louis McClunga, um, sure, so many, Oliver Mtekuti, um, you can go on and on, um. So all of that became a mix, a melting pot, I guess, in terms of uh, sounds and and things that I'm into. I'm still a big jazz fan. I love Fusion. Um, I still love um, the the, the good songwriters in the world. Um, Sting, um, obviously, being one of them. But, I mean, big fan of Rufus Wainwright also. um, um, Bruce Springsteen, obviously. Uh, There's a whole host. One can go on and on.
0: It's Massively uh, eclectic there
2: yeah I should mention actually Tom Waits also Tom Waits had a very very big influence on me and a big impact on me first time I heard Tom Waits is just one also one of those moments where you go what is this this is amazing and and he's he's been a big part of um you know I, I would even say my identity or my uh, you know my view of my worldview even um, I just love the guy. I love his imagination, his approach to things, his childlike curiosity um and it's evident in his music you know his music can sound dark, but i, I think his music is just so full of a celebration of of being human and, and you know being messy and I love the Dead.
0: yeah, he's a great one there's a A reason why he's held in such high regard I suppose and you know your own decision to become a songwriter then it stems from a a psychedelic pilgrimage in the desert we've got to hear whatever you can tell us about that
2: um yeah I mean it it was a it was um it was a strange moment in in time I, I don't like being there in the desert obviously has its own effect on your psyche and and your conscious you know just being placed located in that in that vast expanse and in, in that um in that space um then obviously um during one of my uh, pilgrimages up and down the coast i ended up um on the dune somewhere um and uh lost lost track of time for you know for for what it's worth um and then had an encounter or some. Some kind of uh, engagement with, um, I suppose a voice or something that tells you or shows you the way. Um, it's, it's difficult to put it into too much detail it sounds, it can sound corny, but it, it was a, a watershed moment, I guess. Um, something that puts you uh, on the track to, to starting to explore something and, um, maybe, uh, uh, a voice, as I said, or a hand showing you the way. So so um, I don't want to make too much of it, but it was um, it was a, a seminal moment in terms of just um, understanding where the, you know, what the pursuit needs to be. I gotcha, you. I get you.
0: And, you know, at this stage in your career, then, what's your views on the music industry? Is someone trying to kind of break into it or get more recognition?
2: Um, well, I, I mean, f- for me, the, the notion of a music industry, um, is an interesting one. I, I, I think the first, the first thing to say is that I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing because there's something that needs to be expressed, or I feel like there's, uh, uh, is something I want to explore, um, and. Um, the process of packaging it and getting it out there into the hands of an audience has been also an interesting one, and one that I haven't, that I didn't think of until it became a real, real thing. So I think for a long time it was just about making the the music and and wanting to obviously perform it live, which is what I'm doing now, and I'm really uh, pursuing that, which is giving me a lot of. Um, uh, reward and, and, enjoyment is just playing it. Um, but, uh, so, so the music industry itself, I think is very fractured. And, um, from the outside in, I'm not talking about, uh, or talk, talking from a point of view from, of someone that that's been there for a while. So I've got, I mean, again, just having gone through this experience of having, uh, um, made a debut album and, Getting it out there. I have a lot of respect for people that have done the hard yards, and I've been doing this for years and decades, even, and playing the circuit, and 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 recording the songs, and making the songs, and getting and and trying to get in front of an audience. Um, you do. I mean, for me, you do want to, at least from my point of view, you want to make these songs to get them to people to play them um, and and if, and get them out there. Otherwise, I would have been content just. You know, making it for my own sake and and, and filing it somewhere, um, but for me, it's it's been um, and I think it was a key decision uh, at some point to make is to say, well, am I doing this uh, to just for myself, or am I doing this um, to actually get it out in the world? And the answer was yes, both both of those things. Um, so getting it out into the world's been an interesting one. Um, um, getting it onto streaming platforms and and you know talking to people like yourself and getting um, getting people's eyes and ears attuned to it or, or um, uh, getting it noticed it's an interesting process. Uh, for me, um, for me it's about playing it live and 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 building an audience that way. And I think that's always been the case. I think historically, if you look at music that's where you need to start um, and that's where you hone your craft and and again as i said earlier that's where the songs come to life and mature and breathe and and find a home um and the rest um in terms of promotional activity and as i say talking to people like you that's i guess that's pointing that's part of the exercise and pointing to the music um but um i'd be glad if i could from here on out, make more, because I certainly want to make more music and there's a lot more ideas that I want to lay down, so I'm really starting to think about next, uh, what the next collection could include and what, um, and and there's a few more songs that I've been working on since then, and and, and getting it in front of people. So from an industry perspective and monetization, I mean, to be honest with you, um, that's very far from from any consideration at this point. Um, but of course you want an audience. And, and what I'm hoping is that with, uh, you know, working on your craft and being dedicated to, committed to making the songs come to life and, and, um, and come to fruition, we'll, you know, we'll do that. Definitely,
0: definitely. And speaking of audiences, it is called Concerts That Made Us after all. So I have to ask you, as a concert goer, What concerts have made you?
2: Yeah, so I mean, maybe the first concert to mention was a concert uh, at the Standard Bank Arena in Johannesburg, and that was OMD and uh, Mango Groove. (laughs) That was the first one that I saw um, on such a big scale, and I thought that was amazing. Um, uh, Really, uh, I guess as a young, very impressionable person, that was something big to see. Um, these big acts um, and um, <clears throat> all those people on stage uh, doing what they do. Um, but um, if I talk about concerts that were really formative for me in terms of a musician, um, I'll have to say that um, those um, those gigs, um, especially in the '90s, I was fortunate to 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 see gigs in Johannesburg um, at the Baseline when it was still in. Um, in Melville, and uh, Abdullah Ibrahim was there. Um, again, Busi Matlasela was there. Louis Matlanga was there. I think Oliver Ntukuchi was also there at one stage. Those, those, those musicians were real. You know, a, a real artist, real craftsman, and 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 you know, at the top of their game. So seeing them there and the, the baseline was a very, very special place. Um, At the same time, you had the rock and and a rock scene going on. And and to that extent, um, seeing the Springbok Mute girls, uh, and I saw them a couple of times, but, um, there was a, there was a club in Johannesburg called the Roxy. Um, and I saw them there a couple of times. I even stage dived a couple of times during (laughs) that gig. Um, that was an awesome gig. And I remember, um, at three o'clock in the morning, looking for uh, car keys, I just couldn't find it. i um, literally being the last person in the club, and uh, the cleaner sweeping the floor with just every, the debris of of the evening. There's this heap of dust and trash and and whatever else. And on this heap of trash was my car keys. And basically, just walked up to uh, walked to this heap of trash. They took my car keys and went home. But it was a it was an amazing evening. And there were many of these with the uh, Springbok musical gig, uh, gigs. There's another venue called, uh, Wings Beat Bar in Bramfontein. And that was again, um, thin, like this, this very narrow, narrow, long venue, um, that you would imagine even being in New York someplace. Um, and uh, just a brilliant venue for live music. Um, so yeah, in terms of local uh, performances, that was, um, that's probably one of the earliest ones that really had a big impact on me. Um, one that really st- stands out for me um, was seeing David Kramer um, at Opikopi. Um I think it was 98. I was, uh, by then, I, I was already kind of, I've got a job as a designer at a digital agency. And I was, I got the camera stuffed in my hand and, um, and got told that i got a press pass so I can really go anywhere and take pictures um, with the purpose of um, using it on the website. And I made uh, full use of that. Um, I went around taking a lot of pictures, but uh, I was fortunate enough to see um, David Kramer perform there. Um, and that evening was just unbelievable. Um, there was a real sense of magic happening there. And it was his first time playing. I think he was apprehensive because. He wasn't sure how the crowd was going to take him or, or receive him. Um, and they just received him with open arms. I mean, that o- o- Opikopi crowd at times was, it was just magical to be part of it. And really made a big mark on me seeing, uh, seeing that uh, performance. Um, also, that same, that same uh, festival was Tananas with Gita Beloy, um, you know, Tony Cox and um, Achman Ian Herman uh amazing just a sunset sunset uh gig that they did um yeah, and then later on, I guess uh, as I got older, I had the opportunity to see more and more um bands um I was fortunate enough to see Rufus Wainwright in London as well uh, but the big one that um big international one that I thought um just uh I was in complete awe. of was Bruce Springsteen. Um, I can't remember what year he was. Um, he performed. It. I think it was may have been uh, in the 2010s. Um, but it was like seeing Elvis. It was it was unbelievable. And he, he 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 went. He kept going for three hours. I don't know how he did it. I think he was there already in his late 60s or 70s. Um, and And he just kept going and, and I mean that guy's a force of nature it's it was just it was a- religious experience seeing him um and uh yeah, so i mean those i guess just some of the the you know some of the ones that stick out for me
0: oh man, if that's just some of the ones i you need to write a book on what concerts you've been to that sounds i'm hugely jealous, I have to say. <laughs>
2: Well, there's still some that I'd like to see. I mean, there's so many amazing musicians and bands and um, outfits out there. Um, the one band that I'd love to see um, is is Radiohead. Um, um, I just think they, you know, they're absolute uh, magicians. They they geniuses. Um, I've watched a few live concerts online during COVID. They they made a few available on YouTube and. I think I watched the Berlin one and it was just unbelievable to see how they combined live instrumentation with the electronic instruments and the mastery that they have of those instruments. I remember seeing a documentary or the, um, of, uh, Pink Floyd and, and it took them, a, a, I think, according to the documentary, about two years to master all the instrumentation to get that sound, to get it all working properly live. And I, I remember thinking about that when I saw Radiohead and thinking, well, these guys are, you know, modern Pink Floyd. They, and, and in terms of the mastery of the instruments and, and the complexity of what they put together, it's just on another level. You, you, it's hard to fathom. You look at it and you go, well, it, it, there's no way this can't, you know, can be created live, but they're doing it. They're doing it live, and they, they're using no backtracks or anything like that. They, you know, it's it's just um, jaw dropping to see. Yeah. Yeah, it really is,
0: really is. And you know, we have to move on to your gigs now. For any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what can they expect? Lay it all out for them if
2: you can. Um. Well, in terms of the the mix of songs, I think. Um, again, as the album and the album name alludes to, it it's a there's some uh, real toe tappers, but well, there's one or two toe tappers. There's there's some really hard ones also. I'm, um and there's and there's a few um that are more contemplative and um and and acoustic um in terms of the gigs themselves um it it's exactly that it's a mix of of those i am um building on a um on a set that will include a, a lot uh bigger you know bigger sound um uh for the moment the, the gigs and the type of venues i'm playing is it doesn't always allow for uh you know, full electronic um, or electric set with uh, with uh, with the, all the distortion and and um, and the noise that goes with it. So um, um, you know, the songs themselves lend them to um, being played in, in intimate venues, and also you know, um, um, with with the addition of some additional instrumentation and, and players, they can you know they can be really um, get really big as well. So. Um, Yeah, any, any set is, is, is a mixture of, I guess, the, the more, um, upbeat, um up tempo ones and the ones in the, as I said, in the first half of the album is probably the ones that are, um, um, are lend themselves to, to, to making a bit of noise. And then, um, I like to mix that up with the, um, with the more contemplative, uh, songs, the, you know, the more, um, intimate, um, sounds and um and acoustic numbers as well
0: sounds like uh quite the experience and you know out of all the gigs you've played then is there one that sticks in your mind as maybe the best you've played or the best experience you've had
2: well it's early days i mean um i'll be honest i don't have a I don't have a years and years of many gigs under the belt. So I'm hoping that those stories are still going to come. And I'm, I'm keen to uh, to play um, more venues, um, played at uh, the Radium. That was um, that was earlier this year. I love that venue. So that was special. That's one of the oldest, if not the oldest uh, pub in, in Johannesburg. Uh, lots of journalists uh, hang out there and used to hang out there. Um, interesting memorabilia on the walls, uh, a real uh, institution in Johannesburg, and many bands have played there. So it was really special to just do a uh, do a set there. Um, and then, um, you know, this on the 30th, I'm playing at a festival in Michalisburg. Details still need to be uh, better down, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I would say the Radium was, um, for me, a, a special set. Right,
0: right. I like it. I like it. And you know when it comes to showtime then, just before you go on stage, how do you psych yourself up and then afterwards how do you wind down?
2: Um well the one thing that I've learned is not to have too many beers or other things before the before the set because that can uh, uh that can be detrimental to a good performance. Um but I I think um for me, it's just it's finding uh, some quiet space and um, finding some um, I don't get too hyped up, to be honest with you. I don't get too psyched up. It's more about um, I think when you're playing music, you got to you got to be in some kind of balanced or or, or or quiet space to to be able to even when you're doing loud stuff, even, even when you're playing, you know, the loud numbers, you need to be. Um, in, in a space of control and, um, in focus. So, um, yeah, before a gig, I usually, um, just, um, maybe half an hour before try to find a space to, um, mentally prepare or work through the songs in my head um warm up a little bit. And, and then, uh, uh, and, you know, usually when it's showtime, um, there's always a bit of nervous jitters before, but once you get onto stage, I mean, I, I love just playing with people, playing with um, fellow musicians and, and and performing the songs. And I think most of that just kind of dissipates. But, um, yeah, it's mostly just getting to that quiet place and a place of focus in your mind before you, uh, before you get onto stage.
0: Right, right. And, you know, say you play the best gig of your life, you wake up the next morning, it's back to normality. What sort of effect does that have on you, and how do you deal with it?
2: Well, I think, and and you know, just just from playing also um, over the years and different with different people, and the 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 immediate effect of coming off a stage when you've just performed, uh, especially if it's been a high energy gig, and and you know giving it your all it's difficult to wind down um it's difficult to just get all the, the levels of adrenaline to a point where you can actually sleep so the very that night or the rest of the evening it's um playing playing live <coughs> um really energizes you i think there's a lot that um um lot going on after coming off a stage and then Trying to sleep then is usually a bit of a problem. Um, well, yeah can be, um, and then um, yeah, there's definitely a bit of a come down, especially once you um, back to normality, as you say, back to to everyday life. Um, um, so uh, there's there's something to be said about um, being just being conscious of it and 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 trying to stick to a routine. And seeing it as a craft, um, the, the the live performance stage is the magical part, and you work towards that. Um, um, but it's it is in a sense uh, keeping the discipline of um, once you are off the stage or waiting for the next one, not to get despondent, but to keep uh, going at it. And uh, you know, playing music, there's so much you can still improve on um, and and work on that. Um, it's you know, in a way, um, it's not getting distracted and, and and keeping your head down and um, and making sure that you're working on that craft and that's the stuff that fuels you again, keeps you going and and keeps you inspired for the next gig. So yeah, the the gigs themselves can be a bit of a, a drug or a addiction, um, and it can have very high highs. It can be, it can also, um, you know, gigs aren't always perfect. Um, uh, they can also be in a way debilitating or disparaging if it all if it goes wrong, um, and I'm I tend to be quite hard on myself in terms of the the gigs themselves and the performance. So if it's not going well, um, you know I, I'm more mindful of the things that uh, that can be improved upon um, than necessarily what you know what went well. So I think there's for me always things to work on uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm and and keep improving on for the next gig so yeah i think it's just keeping your head down and and keeping working and seeing it as a craft and 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 working away at it
0: i like it i like it and you know when it comes to your personal life then how do you find the balance between that and the demands of being a musician
2: Yeah, I mean, one of my friends, uh, a good friend of mine said that, and he's also a musician, says, you know, when you're in the studio, you, you invariably, you um, if you have a girlfriend or a partner, they become a studio widow <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you spend a lot of time in the studio, uh, especially if you're recording um, and making a new album. And, and to an extent, I'm... I'm um, I am relieved that that the recording part for now is is kind of set aside, and I can just work on my live act. And um, but that also takes practice. So again, it's 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 but it's something I choose. You know, it's not it's not a it's not a, a burden. Um, I choose to to play music, and um, and that's the the food and the sustenance that I have from a creative perspective, uh, keeping that going. And um, and so from a hobby uh hobby perspective that's uh i think you know music is is it for me the the health and um uh, especially physical health i mean you can you can potentially spend what I find is that once you once you're in the studio or you're busy with something you can easily spend two three hours there um and not notice time go by. So one has to be mindful of going outside, taking a break, taking a walk or going for a jog and, um, and, and keeping that balance going. I have found that, um, uh, you know, at times music encroaches sometimes or on your focus, uh, you know, like you say, there is still reality. And, um, uh, you know, I'm not a full-time professional at the moment. I'm still, I'm still keeping the, uh, paying the rent by being a, a designer and um, being in the design profession. So um, so to that degree, it's, uh, it's making sure that, you know, that it's hard to keep the world separate sometimes. Um, and uh, a song idea can come up at any time. Uh, also, I find that um, waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a song in my head um, happens, I would say, about once a month. Um right. and then it's about finding the guitar or or or, uh, or whispering into your phone like a ridiculous person at three a.m. in the morning and not waking your partner. Uh that's those are part of the challenges.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh if we look ahead then and you think about your career, how would you like to evolve? You know, what would your music be like in say five years time?
2: Yeah, there's there's so much I still wanna explore. As I said, um um yeah, I wanna get more intricate or, or nuanced with um the comp I want to get better at composition and, and instrumentation. Um uh I want to um explore other elements. You know, this this album I'm very happy with. It's it's got a very strong rock foundation, I guess, in terms of um uh, where it started and, and its intent. Um, but there are elements there that I want to expand on. There are, there are elements of soul and funk, and I've always been a big uh, fan of funk. Um, I mentioned Phil Akuti and James Brown, and those, those people, had a, uh, those musicians had a big influence on me. So there's some elements I want to explore. Um, I have been, and, and you know I was busy with a lot of electronic stuff in the past, and I want to bring elements of that into it. I want to get better at vocals and vocal uh, vocal harmony. So there's, there's so much. Um, uh, uh, and in bringing those things together and fusing um, elements of funk and electronic and, and rock together, I think that's, you know, that's, that's kind of in the back of my mind where I want to go next and obviously just get better at songwriting.
0: Sounds like it would be very challenging but very enjoyable as well.
2: Yeah, I am sure there is going to be frustrating moments and um, and and learnings from it. Um, but I, I mean, that's the whole thing. Is is with something like this, is you you keep exploring and you do it because you want to know. You are curious. You are curious about where things can go. And um, to a, to an extent, you have to be willing to throw yourself in it and um, and see what comes out. You, you don't you don't know always, um, and that's the that's the cool part of it. So. Um yeah I'm I'm very keen on um in in doing a second album and um and getting a, a the new direction going as as I said there's lots of stuff out there and uh, you know music is a is a very very big universe um with lots of different uh influences and people doing amazing things so who knows who knows where it's going next
0: that's for sure that's for sure and before we dive into the last couple of questions then what's the rest of the year look like is there anything you want to tell us about besides the album coming out
2: um yeah so at the moment um I had a I had a live performance uh, recently on the 18th of, of August with um with two friends of mine um Jerome Maynard on drums he was formerly from nine um, amazing drummer and also just generally amazing person and then the bassist uh Keith Henderson, uh, Keith's, unfortunately, he's, he's moving to Cape Town now. So he's abandoning me for greener pastures in Cape Town. Um, so I'm looking to, to just get the, the, the live band, um, in a good place again. And then there's a, there's a festival, a small acoustic festival in, in I mentioned the details, um, still, uh, just confirming with the, with the organizers, um, over the course of the next two weeks. And that's happening on the 29th and 30th. And then looking to to get um, um, looking to get uh, just a few gigs going in and around uh, Joburg, but um, at the moment um, there's 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 not a, a set itinerary or set of, um, of um, events in the foreseeable future. So we uh, keep playing on um, at local at local venues um, in London um, on Saturdays. There's a place called the Rustic Vine. Uh, so I'm usually there on Saturdays, and then there's uh, TJ's, the the usual live, um, uh, regular live setups um, on a monthly basis, um, and they have um, um, a collection of uh, musicians and solo artists doing their thing there, so I'm busy there also on a regular basis, but... Yeah, as I said, the, the bigger sound, the bigger setup. That's that's what I'm aiming to 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 get going in the next couple of months and, and see where can that can take me in terms of venues, and audiences. And um, and so, um, there's 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 a bit of uh, work to be done there, and um, I'm aiming to to get that going as I said um, before the year's are to get a few uh, nice um, nice venues, nice uh, big gigs under the belt.
0: Brilliant. Well. Hopefully it all comes together anyway. And uh, we'll dive into the last couple. So these are uh, a couple of odd, fun music questions, but I'm intrigued okay. to see your answers. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Oh,
1: <sighs> Sure. Um I'd love to have seen Fela
2: Kuti. Um, I was in Nigeria, I was there actually uh, doing some work and then I'm, and it was at the same time as Fela Week, which is um, an amazing week of just uh, Nigerian artists. And, and also Femi Kuti played at the shrine, not the original shrine, but the, I think it was the second club. Um, so I managed to go to the shrine and see Femi Kuti play, but I'd love to have seen um, his father play. I think that would have been amazing. Um, and then, um, yeah, I guess Soundgarden, I kind of missed that one. Um, Soundgarden was also a big influence on me. So, um, But sure, there's so many different musicians, musicians. Um, from the past, that would have been amazing to see. Um, from the 70s uh, onwards, um, one can go on and on. I mean, but let's just stop at those two, maybe.
0: Two very good choices. And here's where the odd pair comes in now. If you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be?
1: Sure
2: um i don't know if it's healthy to be stuck in a room with a musician for 24 <laughs> hours
0: <laughs> probably not
2: <laughs> uh we probably drive each other crazy um
1: wow well, uh sure
2: um again there's so many um i think tom waits probably because he has tons of stories He'll, he'll probably keep you entertained.
0: I was half uh, expecting that answer now, I must say.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Good one. Good for one. sure. And the final one, so. Now I've been told this is near impossible to answer. What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life?
2: Ah, uh, Jeez. yeah that's again that's uh yeah that is almost impossible but if i have to say one one song then um it will probably be um uh man uh lou reed's walk on the wild side like it like it's perfect
0: choice listen i've really enjoyed chatting with you Know it's been an absolute blast
2: Thank you, Brian. Thanks for the time. And I enjoyed talking to you too. Much appreciated.
3: service stations gather static on their shelves while silver muted monuments are meeting with themselves Somewhere in a folded space of corners never meant to face, imagination dwells. I
1: waded through an open.
3: Leaves around my feet. A far away refinery forgets what he supposed to be and draws his head.